Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to One Step Beyond. And who knows, this may be a one-take One Step Beyond. This is the show all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing and talking about this time round. And today, this is not the royal we, which I use so often, but there's actually somebody in the room with me, sitting across from me on their own microphone, recording on their own laptop. Paula, say hello to the One Step Beyond audience. Hi, everybody. It's Paula Lucas. I'm Tony's partner in travel and in life. What are we going to talk about today, Paula? Today we're going to talk about our fabulous trip to Costa Rica. We are, which we're, is pretty recent. Yeah, we have only been back two weeks. And I think the plan uh, today is is uh, not to do, very, very much not to do a what we did on our holidays, um, the modern equivalent of, hey, would you like to slideshow of our holidays? That's like the 70s, right? The parents would do that. And people would be like, oh my God, not another slide of you sitting on the beach. Yes, we want to give people a picture of Costa Rica, what it's like to travel there, and why they might want to go someday. And additionally, and this is an important part, we came to this with very different travel experience. Um, people who've listened to this show a chunk will know that I have traveled a lot, though I've only lived in two English-speaking countries, and um, England and and the United States, but I've traveled a lot, including a year off uh, backpacking around the world with with the ex and the then eleven year old kid. Um, for you, Paula, it's been a different situation. So so walk us through your travel over the years. Well, I did some really interesting travel when I was very young. At age sixteen, I went to Turkey and was an exchange student there for nine months. I lived in Izmir, which is down the coast from Istanbul. And um, that was a life-changing experience for a 16-year-old. I, I left the United States being a pretty shy, introverted person, and all of that had to change very quickly. Um, when I was 20, I spent a semester in Sevilla in Spain, and uh, that was just part of my college travel. I expected to travel a lot more in my younger years, but I became a teacher and got a full-time job pretty quickly, started raising a family. And when I arrived in Costa Rica, it was the first time I had been out of the country in 35 years. I think it'll be useful for you to share with people what you teach at uh, high school, because it did affect uh, our choice of destinations. All right. I am a high school Spanish teacher. I started learning Spanish when I was 12 years old, fell in love with it. I had a wonderful Spanish teacher who I'm still friends with on Facebook. And it just went on from there. I had a talent for language. Um, I love teaching Spanish, but oddly enough, I don't get enough practice because I'm mostly just teaching my students the basics. Um, 
And I also teach social studies. I have a social studies certification. And every once in a while, when I'm very lucky, they allow me to teach global studies ninth grade in Spanish to our new immigrant students. We were going to take a foreign trip last year. And I actually got a double dose of Rock Academy work. And we, we, we had faith we would still be together this year. Was that a thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, um, I, we, we did talk about doing a Latin American country and partly because of the Spanish and also because Spain would be wonderful. I know you want to go back to Sevilla where, where you spent that time, except you don't want to go to Sevilla in the summer. Right. Yeah, right. There is, there, that is problematic, though. I did find it interesting to find my former apartment is now an Airbnb, so I can stay exactly where I lived in Sevilla. And I will do that someday. Originally, um, when Tony and I were talking about our first international trip together, we landed on Bolivia. Tony, do you remember why we were looking at Bolivia? I heard a podcast. One of the podcasts I listened to, there was an Irish guy who, not surprisingly, had opened uh, It Actually, it may have been a hostel. He may have had a hostel. There's an Irish bar everywhere in the world, I promise you, including Kathmandu. Um, but he was talking about Bolivia, and I was like, this sounds great. And then the more I looked at it, the better it sounded. Then I even found somebody who'd recently read a, written a book about it who's from South London, who's been on two recent podcasts. But by the time I got him on the show... Uh, we had decided, well, you, would, you this is why I wanted to travel yeah. with you because you're smart about this stuff. You've got common sense. I jump in with both feet. Yeah, this change was definitely on me. Um, I was looking at Bolivia and very excited about all the beautiful locations that we could go to. But I, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, Paula, you have not been out of the country in 35 years. You haven't done any kind of travel. And if you know Tony, he's an adventure traveler. So... I was looking at the problem of um, the altitude and the fact that people do suffer from some altitude sickness when they're visiting Bolivia. And one day I just said to Tony, hey, can we make another choice, maybe in Central America, a place you haven't been that doesn't have the altitude problem for my first trip out of the country? So I think eventually we will get to Bolivia. It just wasn't on the agenda this time. And you were smart. You were smart about that. And there are other places in South America that, that would also probably be easier than Bolivia. Uh, but I appreciate you saying that because I am uh, pretty relentless on the road. And um, I think you know, if, if you're tuning into this and you're still with us, thank you. Uh, I think what's what's great about this conversation is, is you know, it's almost like a bit of an, an, an odd couple in this, you know, it's, we had to approach this from different perspectives and the planning was really important because we had to, we had to do some meeting halfway. What do we both want to do? What are we both capable of doing? Um, do you, you want to take me through any of the planning? I mean, I'll, I'll tell people first up, we decided, although your kids are grown, one of them is, uh, well, you had reasons why you wanted to keep this under two weeks. Yes. Yeah. I have a son who has autism and I just didn't think I could explain to him why I would disappear for more than two weeks. Right. So we actually made it 11 nights, pretty much 10 days, 11 nights. Yeah. And um, in terms of that planning process, you know, I always find this fascinating. And I mean, if I was to give advice to people who are looking to travel, and I had to sort of remind myself because I haven't gone anywhere brand new in five years since I went to Colombia, and that was to stay with a friend. So I'm not really sure I've been somewhere brand, brand new since doing the round the world trip. And for that round the world trip, there was so much planning a year, two years. We put it back by four months so that we could really be ready for it. 
But there is this element to travel that for all the guidebooks you read, and we read them, and for all the websites you can look at, and we looked at them, and for all the YouTube videos you can watch, which we watched, though I got bored of them very, very quickly. You went through this as well, Paula. I'm going to ask you a sort of leading question. Would you agree that for all of that, and it's important, there's no substitute for actually being there? Well, it's very interesting because Tony kept talking about how we weren't going to finalize or we shouldn't finalize too much of our plans before we actually got to Costa Rica. Now, for me, my two trips were absolutely planned. There were people in charge of me telling me where to go and what to do. So this was a little bit nerve wracking um, on my part. But we had watched the videos on YouTube and mostly what we got out of those was where we did not want to visit. <laughs> right, right. Tony and I sort of started generating a list of the things that we wanted to do in Costa Rica. And very quickly, we realized we did not want to hit any of the major tourist destinations. Um, and that we were very interested in Costa Rica's environmental work. And so one of the places we definitely wanted to go was Tortuguero, where the turtles nest, the green turtles nest. And um, so we picked a few general sites. We uh, made our reservations for San Jose when we got off the plane and our reservations for Tortuguero. And after that, we just had a general idea of where we wanted to go. And I just had to trust Tony that in the end, it would all fall into place like a beautiful puzzle. And did, that's what happened. It? Oh, yeah, that's okay, exactly what good. happened. It, it fell into place. I mean, jigsaw puzzles, um, any puzzle, it wasn't quite a Rubik's Cube. It was a relatively easy jigsaw. It's still a jigsaw, and it still takes a bit of time. But I, I do recommend people do that. Um, plan, I found traveling around the world, I always wanted to know where I was staying the next night, like like generally. you know. So I, so I was okay to not know what we were doing two days from now. I wanted to know where we would be staying for the next two nights. I got nervous when we hadn't got a place for that night, and I only let that happen once or twice. Sim we we had the same here. I think just spinning back, we just were touching. We wanted to, to you know go to Costa Rica experience and and really focus on its environmentalism. Costa Rica is an incredibly popular destination um, in general, but specifically for North Americans, by which I do mean Canadians as well, because whenever I raise this, people said, oh, we get a lot of Canadians too. It's popular... Um, well, why don't I ask you, uh, Paula, as a you know, first-time traveler, why would you say Costa Rica would be popular, not, and maybe not having the experience of a Colombia or a Brazil or an Ecuador? I think that Costa Rica has um, a very large tourist industry. In fact, it is one of the biggest money makers for the country of Costa Rica. It's the biggest, actually. The? Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Um, and they are ready, willing, and able to help you have a wonderful time there. And the people are lovely, and they really want your tourist dollars, and they want you to come back. That's point one. I think the country is popular because you've got Pacific Coast and you've got Atlantic Coast. And I believe that somewhere around r and Volcano that we didn't go to, I think it's around there you can see both. It's a very small geographic country. And the beaches are wonderful. It has two or three volcanic ranges with how many, how many active volcanoes? Um, there are five active volcanoes and they say um, dormant 
and active. They have over 60 volcanoes in yeah. Costa Rica. So this is a country that goes from you know sea level to volcanic height very, very quickly. It's not Bolivian height. I think that you know the, the country tops out about 8,500 feet, which approximately is going to be 2,700 meters. God, I hope I got that roughly right. Um, I think I did. And, but then there's another aspect. One third of Costa Rica is protected land. I don't know if that's a record across the world, but I have a feeling it is. Um, between national parks, private reserves, and whatever else might fall in the middle there, uh, maybe international reserves as well, one-third of the actual land is protected. And that's enormous because, and I should have had this statistic in front of me, Costa Rica is only 0.04% of the world's landmass and it's got fully 5% of the world's species. That is just off the charts. There's no other country can match it for that kind of ratio. But I, I, I think, you know, part of talking about this, um, you know, we mentioned the environmental aspects of going. And of course, the more travelers that go, Costa Rica's primary uh, business used to be coffee, but now it is tourism. Coffee is still very big, but it is now tourism. And of course, there is a yin and a yang. There's a push and a pull between if you've got an environmentally protected country, how many tourists can it handle? And this became evident to us on the Pacific coast with the buildup that, that, that is there. And that is to me, a question that always is in my mind, like, am I doing good by coming here? Am I doing harm by coming here? But but we went and I want to do just one or two last things about planning and then just get into the joys of Costa Rica. We decided uh, we went back and forth a lot on this is a country where most North Americans will come in and rent a car. We didn't. <laughs> but that was yeah. not that was not an instant decision. No, that was a major point of debate for a couple of weeks. Um, we weren't arguing about it. We were actually sort of flowing on the same page. Um, in order to rent a car in Costa Rica due to extra taxes and fees, it would have been somewhere around $600. Um, and that's before you deal with having to pay for gas and the fact that the driver doesn't really get to enjoy the scenery that you're driving through. So with those factors all together, we decided instead to go by public transport. And we did save a good amount of money doing this, but we also had the opportunity to be in the real world with real people. Um, we had some wonderful conversations. Uh, Tony is learning Spanish, and his Spanish improved on a daily basis. He was constantly talking to people. It was all very brave. And, um, and of course, I was enjoying finally being able to use Spanish the way it's supposed to be used. You enjoy like, I'm going to jump ahead because we, we have that liberty here. When we got off the plane and finally got in a taxi, um, and it was a taxi, uh, not, not a bus, to our Airbnb, and I want to talk about our choice of Airbnbs, it was, you know, we gave the destination, we, had, we were trying to show him where it was on the map, because among other things, Costa Ricans don't use addresses, by the way, they don't actually have that physical addresses. I knew it that was more from, like, this house is across from this business. Yeah. They, li literally, they will give you blocks, and then you've got to find a house in between blocks. And I knew that from my Spanish course that I took this spring, but it's pretty hard when you deal with it in real life. Anyway, we were in the cab, and the guy kind of, you know, figures, all right, more just um, American tourists going to their Airbnb. I'm not going to rip them off. I'm going to make a straight line. And you went, 
hold on a second, Tony, and you leaned over and started speaking to him in Spanish. And it was such a beautiful moment because I felt like you had been building up for this for years and his face lit up and your face lit up. And I kind of just sat back and, and I felt really happy for you that you were using this not as a backup, not with your students, but you were in a Spanish speaking country and oh my God, did your Spanish flow. It was, it, you know, if you had any doubts about whether you were speaking a kind of like school formal Spanish, I don't think you ran into that problem, did you? No, not at all. And I experienced this over and over again in Costa Rica. Um, when I opened up and shared myself with the people, you know, various people that we ran into, but in their own language, the amazing conversations and the beautiful moments um, that came up were just, it happened over and over again, and it was just so eye-opening. And so um, I'm really happy that I speak Spanish and yeah. that I'm bilingual, and I figured out that I am capable of speaking to about 25% of the world's population. So Yeah, which is great. And your English, well, but with, with is that just Spanish or no, Spanish and English combined? No, that's Spanish and English together, and that's yeah. an estimate, I'm sure, you know. I think English would... is, a, is a lingua franca, which is a weird expression because it sounds French, but it's a common <laughs> language around the world, but to some degree so Spanish, and I did love using my Spanish, and I, I got to the point where I was taking my own rides, my own taxis, going to shops, and at least when you say hello and thank you and even if you ask how much does something cost and then they tell you and you look at them blankly and they tell you in English they still appreciate that you tried I think that's re another just when we were going around the world Malaysia India just learn the words for please thank you um, and hello and it'll get you a long way I, I will say I will say that I'm going to spin back just a tiny bit because uh, we're, we're letting you dip into the country uh, but but for people who are planning a trip like this so I, I felt the public transport thing, there's a, there's a caveat to that. We needed to and had to take taxis and Ubers and DDs for smaller journeys. A couple of times inadvertently, those became a little expensive for slightly longer journeys. But the balance, I don't think we were going to get away with 600 bucks, by the way. I think all told it was going to be closer to a grand. But I, not only does the driver not get to enjoy the countryside they don't get to relax and you need to be able to sleep a bit and close your eyes a bit right. but just being on a bus with locals it counts for some being in a bus stop just being in a bus station even if you've got to wait an hour for your bus you're experiencing a country and i think a lot of travelers maybe tourists aren't thinking this way because there is a distinction but if you're traveling you need to put time into your travel the travel is what you tell people you're doing so enjoy that travel. Enjoy sitting around waiting. Enjoy figuring out the change so that you can pay to use the bathroom. I mean, enjoy every aspect of this because you're in another country. And yeah. strike up a conversation and smile at people. It's, I love it. I love being on a, on a, on a bus where we're pretty much the only non-native people on, on a bus. I love that. And that, that brings me to a very important point. In general, people are kind mm. and they want to help you and it makes them happy to help you. And even if you didn't speak Spanish, you can do just fine in Costa Rica because they, um, so many have enough English to help you specifically with what you need. I also want to say what something Costa Rica is also known for. There is a national phrase. It's only two words, four syllables. We didn't prep for this. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, it is Pura Vida. Which is pretty straightforward. But for those who, you know, that would have been me two years ago. What does that mean? Pure life. Yeah, pure life. 
Yeah, they will quote that at you. They will throw it at you at times. Like it's it's a hello, it's a goodbye, it's uh it's like a mambo in Tanzania, which uh, just is an all-encompassing like yeah. Kinda. Yeah, it's also a, a phrase of agreement, um, a phrase saying that's great. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, and it is their outlook. It is their outlook on life. I'm not going to try and sugarcoat and say Costa Rica doesn't have poverty or doesn't have problems, um, or or that there aren't poachers with the animals. All of this is the case. But the country did away with its army after a civil war in 1949, and there is no standing army. And there is a police force. You know, you will see armed police around, but. Um, that money was theoretically put into education. So there's a, a percentage uh, that's higher than most countries. It's about 8%. And the United States and most European countries are struggling to put in 6% of their GDP. Um, but, you know, I don't want to suggest Costa Rica's perfect by any means. But, gosh, I've been to a number of countries and it's pretty damn good. San Jose, I had read many reports in my guidebooks that said this is a pretty... Uh, uh, this this is not going to vie for like the most beautiful capital city in the world. And guess what? It doesn't. It doesn't. But our first taxi driver, what I was saying to him in Spanish was, what would you recommend that we do in San Jose? And he said, nada. <laughs> Being a young 20-something, he did not find anything wonderful about his own city, which I thought was sad. But once I pressed him a little bit about museums, um, he gave us his favorite, and he actually did send us to a particular neighborhood that was known for its nightlife and restaurants and hip vibe. But um, that's the feeling I think even a lot of Costa Ricans have about San Jose is it's this sprawling city that doesn't really have a design plan and has lost a lot of its soul. original charm and soul. Yeah. But we found amazing things to do and we did. see in uh, San Jose. And our purpose was to really understand a little bit about Costa Rica's history before we took off into the the wider countryside. Which is, again, something I would really recommend. I know sometimes all you want from a trip is to go to the beach or climb a mountain or do your adventure sports or, or you know, be in a forest, whatever. But Try and go with some knowledge about the country. And if you don't have that knowledge, go to the local museums. Um, San Jose, just to put this, um, to give, give you some figures, I think Costa Rica's population is only around five and a half million. And um, the landmass, by the way, is something around, along the lines of West Virginia. And I think that population is something like South Carolina's. And so it's not, it's not much. And uh, a third of that live in San Jose and the suburbs, which, as we found out, have swallowed up a number of former colonial towns. And in the 50s, I believe, they succumbed to American you know, architecture and design and tore down a number of great buildings and just built rubbish. And the city center is kind of, it, it is a bit grubby. It is a bit difficult. And we stayed in an Airbnb not far from the airport, a simple bus ride into town. So our first full morning there, we just jumped on a bus and that was easy enough. Um, very, very easy. Uh, I'm going to just focus on what we did find in the city because we want to get out of and, and out into the environmental beauty of the country. But we hit on a couple of really good things. What were they? Well, there are many museums in San Jose. So we just decided out of the eight to 10 choices that we had, we picked the Gold Museum, which uh, speaks a lot to um, the native people and what they were doing in Costa Rica before the Spanish arrived. And then we went to the National Museum of Costa Rica and got a little more of the more modern history. 
We did. So the gold, um, I did something similar in uh, uh, Bogota before in Colombia. And you might think, why would I want to go about like gold? Isn't that colonialist? Well, actually, the interesting aspect is that the um, the indigenous people prior to the Spanish, the gold was so prevalent. I mean, everything was gold. Like, like you know, I mean, pretty much the beer was gold. Um, everything was gold. When the Spanish showed up, they're like, where's the gold? And I think they just sort of pointed the Spanish south. The Spanish never actually found much gold. Like, well, from know, what I understand, they thing. pointed to the river and said the gold is there, but the Spanish never panned the river. So it's it's strange. I mean, the Spanish. You know, we. I, I don't want to deep d- dive too much into this colonial history. It's a conversation for another day. But. I, what I would do when I say is the Gold Museum is a lot more about the indigenous history of the country than it is about colonialism. In fact, I don't yes. think it really is about colonialism. No, it isn't. It, right. It stops before that right. happens. And then the National Museum is most interesting because of its location um, or its former use. What yeah. was its former use? Well, as you said a little bit earlier, Costa Rica um, disbanded its army after the Civil War in uh, 1949. Mm-hmm. And so... All the former army buildings, or many of them, have been turned into museums. Which is just wonderful, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It was amazing. Beautiful building, too. Really beautiful. It's a little hard to find your way around at times. Um, but So there's nooks and crannies with lots of exhibitions on, including a photographic exhibition by a well-known photographer um, that who, who actually photographed the president taking the first uh, sledgehammer to the army barracks but that was symbolic because you're actually right where he's taking the sledgehammer it's still there but there are bullet holes from that civil war and uh, i think the fact that it's been turned into this museum uh, is a is an important statement um we combined a lot of really great things in that first day and then we ended up taking our taxi driver's advice and walking up to barrio escalante to find some fabulous restaurants. Oh, and this place was just like as hip as anything, as hip as anything I saw in Bogota. It was just like, uh, the thing is, when I say bar after bar after restaurant, like like I've been to tourist places, but it's just horrendous. I don't mean, I'm not trying to make you think of St. Mark's Place in New York City or something. It, it was one beautiful building after another, with lots and lots of space and lots of different themes. So, I, you know, I did see sort of, you know, your craft beer place, but then you, you had the, the expensive sit-down and then the nightclub. And we, I mean, it, some of them were lit beautifully. It felt like somewhere you would want to spend an evening, particularly if you're younger and you can kind of last the distance, <laughs> last the course, right? And it was also a local neighborhood. There yeah. weren't a ton of tourists around. We None only really. found it because of this taxi driver who gave us the recommendation yeah i loved it but next day we were booked to go to tortuguero um really the only travel hassle i think we had the entire journey um but it wasn't it for me it wasn't major well it's very interesting that um we had chosen to go to tortuguero right after san jose because we knew that this was a very special site of um where the turtles lay their eggs and getting there is not easy. It's not even easy for people who are willing to pay a larger amount of money. We decided we were going to take um, the two buses uh, that you needed to take to get to the docks at La Pavona. To get to Tortuguero, you have to take a boat. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was going to be our first major um, public transport trip 
of our, you know of the trip but our problem came in because we got um wrong information from the internet and that's the thing that um can happen you can get bad information but tony kept saying you can always get where you need to go there's always a way it might take you longer but you can get there so uh instead of two buses we ended up taking two buses and a really fast taxi ride to uh the docks at la pavona the taxi was actually driving that fast because he was actually genuinely trying to catch up with our bus. And and that was just like, the, to, to me, that was the only um, travel experience. And it, it just spoke a little bit to our, exper- our own experiences coming into it. Because for me, it was like, ah, that's all right. We just got to catch a taxi. It's going to cost us, you know, a little bit more. Ta- the, the taxi, the buses are super cheap, which is another reason for taking them. It's like $7 to get across the country. Um, you know, Anytime you jump in a taxi or a private car, it's going to be different. But it was only about 20 bucks to catch up with the boat. And I, I you know, I, I've been listening it to some podcasts I really like, so I'm not going to name them. But I've been hearing a lot of first world problems and, and people who insist on like having their own car everywhere and staying in hotels everywhere. I'm happy to travel cheap. And I also just think occasionally you got to just, just go with it. I know for you, it was more difficult because i think you felt you planned this and 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 then the plan didn't work work out but i was like hey we'll get there and we were like half an hour early for the boat we were fine we were just fine i do want to say that this was a moment i loved that i don't think you caught as quickly as i caught it a week later we also missed the bus uh it turned out that bus was full we could probably have pre-bought tickets we didn't know because we'd had a lot of luck just getting on buses and it was to bring us back from liberia back to san jose at the end of our trip so so um i think paula found that out just ahead of me and she's like ah next bus is an hour we'll just wait at the station and i'm like there you go that's what that's what 10 days of travel will do it's like hey just some more time in a in just some more time to wait we'll get in a little bit later and i that was a transformation i saw in you if you saw it in my confidence of speaking spanish i saw you just like rolling with the travel and i think that's something that just comes from putting yourself out there and being being willing i mean i, I you really did you you transformed over that week yeah it was, it was a confidence builder um in my ability physical, um, emotional strength kind of uh, thing as well. And, and a confidence builder in, um, my ability to speak Spanish, because when you don't speak it all the time, you wonder as you get older, if it's all still in there. I mean, I have 40 years of Spanish Mm. learning in my brain, but would it come out in the moment it needed to in the way it needed to? Yeah. It was, it was great. Um, right. We're going to hear on the beauty of the places we went to now. And, uh, uh, first up, um, Paula, can you just sum up Tortuguero for our listeners? Um, I mean, <laughs> Tortuguero <laughs> itself is just, um, it's a really different place. Um, you come off the boat and you're in the little town and it's bustling and there are restaurants, there are tour companies um, wanting to sell you tours, there are um, souvenir shops, there are places to stay, all kinds of little boutique hotels. Um, but our hotel happened to be on the Caribbean side. And so we had to walk just a very little bit, um, not even, I don't know, a quarter of a mile. And when we got to our hotel, we looked and there was the Caribbean Sea right in front of us. And, um, 
you know, I'll say for the hotels on Tortuguero, you're not going to be in your room that much. So you just have to decide how much comfort you really need. There are ones with air conditioning that are a little more posh. Ours didn't have air conditioning. It was basically just a place to sleep that gave us coffee in the morning. So we um, really need With a very lovely, boisterous, happy host. Yeah. And he actually was very helpful. When he found out we missed the bus and we were in Guapiles trying to get a, another bus to Cariari, he, he he said, oh, I'm in Guapiles. But unfortunately, we had already hopped a bus at that point. Yeah. He probably would have driven us he to the probably, docks at La Pavona. He probably, so. would, he probably would have done it. It's, uh, uh, our place was cheap and cheerful, I think, in the most part, Tortuguero is. The Caribbean beach that we were right by is not swimmable. Um, but just down from where we are is where the national park kicks in. And most people are only going to spend two, three nights at most in Tortuguero. Um, there's only two or three really things to do. And we did them. And we did them in the one full day that we had. So we bookmarked that day with some pretty, with two fabulous adventures. So the first one. Um, the first one was a canoe trip. You could choose a canoe, um, about a 10-man canoe trip or kayak if you wanted to um steer your own boat yeah um and that is um tortuguero is surrounded by uh and and has jungle canals where you can see all kinds of wildlife and uh, various trees and yeah it's a 6 a.m start rain or shine oh i did not tell people oh my gosh this was so important uh, we have to oh my god we have to spend a minute on this we went in the rainy season i complete i've got a note here this was really important because it's summer holidays in the States, and it's an expensive time to travel. But the flights were not as much as they would be because, interestingly, most people that want to go to Costa Rica are going in the American winter where it's the dry season down there so they can get the best of the beaches. So not only were the flights like somewhat better, but there's less tourists there in the rainy season. And we did catch the rains here and there. And one, the, the next morning in Tortuguero, when we were actually leaving, it rained heavily. But it was raining heavily when we got up at 5 a.m. that morning for our 6 a.m. canoe ride. But they do not... Um, they don't cancel. Actually, I may have gotten this wrong with the rain. I'm trying to remember it rained later that day, but they don't cancel. It, it did rain um, early in the morning, and you and I were looking at each other going, are they going to cancel this? Yeah. But we just decided to walk down to the gathering yeah. place. And by the time we got on our canoe, um, it had cleared, unlike the day we left when it rained and people were out in those canoes in, yeah. in pouring weather. We, we, so, did get, we did get lucky on that. I yeah. also need to say environmentally, um, global crisis, global warming, um, you know, it, it's, uh, they were getting less rains than usual. Um, so if you've been living in Kingston, you've had a wet summer, don't be like, oh, that means the planet's not warming up. The planet's out of whack. They're getting, they got less rains this summer. We caught some of it. In a way, I was glad not to catch too much more. Um, the uh, canoe trip was, was wonderful. It's just a couple of hours. The sun came out. I've done a couple of similar things in, in my life. They're always great because you're at this point, you're in the national park. Um, you had to pay, pay uh, go online and book your ticket to get into the national park. That was checked. So no point trying to skip on that. And um, I mean, I'm so that we can get through all our destinations, just uh, a rough idea of what animals we may have seen there. It was it was very enjoyable. Um, we saw multiple different birds. Um, we did get a catch sight of a howler monkey, a caiman. Our uh, tour guide was very funny. He was uh, speaking to us in English, and uh, he just we were in this little cove 
Jungle Cove, and he happened to mention that, oh, yes, yesterday when I was here, there was a crocodile, and it was very, um, how did he say, it was aggressive. And, it was I, like it was and right, I turned yeah. back and I said to him in Spanish, do you really need to tell us about the aggressive <laughs> crocodile while we're sitting here in this little cove? And he chuckled. Thought that was yeah, but funny. I don't think they've had too many tourists eaten. I will say that on Tortuguero, you are going to be among other tourists. I imagine it's like that in Aranal, especially in the towns. Uh, La Fortuna um, is one of them, and Monteverde. Um, you're surrounded by a lot of people who are doing what you're doing. They're coming to Tortuguero, almost all of them by boat, for two or three days. Tortuguero is actually a peninsula, in case you're wondering. It's a very long, narrow peninsula that kind of like comes out and dives back down so it creates this uh, canal and just to the south of the town is the national park but for all that the um for all that this was a lovely canoe ride it's something i've done before what we did that evening is something i've never done before it's the kind of thing some people will go to costa rica for it's the kind of thing you might go to the galapagos for and uh, paula walk us through it because for both of us it was cosmic oh the turtle tour so oh my god walk me through this again <laughs> so there's a whole process, as Tony would say. Um, you have a small group, and there are many small groups being led. You have a guide, and there um, there's a path that runs parallel to the beach. And when Tony and I, um, earlier in the day, walked this path, it was called the Jaguar Trail, we noticed all these numbered um, trails onto the beach, and, and we're wondering what all this meant. Well, we did find out. So when you your group gets to the path behind the beach, you sit in sort of a covered area and you wait. And when they are ready, one of the uh, park rangers will come, get the tour guides and say, your group goes to 43, your group goes to 52. And they just give you a number and the number corresponds to where you are entering the beach. Now, the park rangers, what they have done is they have looked at what turtles are on the beach and what part of the process they are in. So we cannot be near a turtle who has just come up on the beach or has just started digging her nest because you, if you disturb them at that point, they will turn around and run and not complete what they need to do that night, which is dig the nest, deposit their eggs, cover it over, camouflage it, and then leave. And it's a several-hour process that they have to go through. So when we entered the beach, we entered at some like number 43, and they cautioned us, if anybody turns on a light a phone or anything other than the red light the guide has, you are done and you are off the beach. Right. And they're not kidding. This is no. all about, you. we want you to see the turtles, but do not harm the turtles in any way, including interrupting their and yet, process. And yet the thing is, once they've come up to the beach, once they've gone into the process of either making their nest or they're, they're coming back to check on it or they're coming back uh, or they're, they're laying eggs, they're in a zone. They're, 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 they're in a trance. And so at this point, it's only infrared light, and we're, we're holding hands. In fact, you came out with a great album title for Yeah, us. I called this Stumbling Around the Beach Holding Hands with Strangers. Yeah, and I think it's Stumbling Around the Beach at Night. Holding hands with strangers is very poetic. Yeah, yeah. It's something almost romantic, which is <laughs> what we have to do. the beach um, in the dark, holding hands with strangers. Anyway, it, it's, it was... it's pretty crazy. You are being like dragged along in the dark, holding hands with people, stumbling over stones, trying not to make, I don't know how much turtles hear and don't hear, but you do end up like 
almost next to them. I mean, it's a bit perverse watching them like drop eggs, but that's what you're doing. We actually came out on the beach right next to one that was just getting started. And they did not even tell us because what we were told is follow exactly in your guide's Mm. footsteps and in the person in front of you. They didn't mention the turtle that had just started digging because they were afraid we would go, ooh, ah. But it was a little freaky to look and see this very large you know, three foot by five foot shape in the sand next to us. I kept being worried I was going to stumble over, you know, fall over a turtle. Um, Yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, it was legitimate. It was a legitimate fear. Turtle, the green turtles were about a meter long. Um, They do live to 100. Uh, Their first 25 years, if they make it, are just spent sort of like hanging out, trying not to get eaten by something bigger. And then if they're female, they get to have a very, very uh, busy, uh, busy year every three to five years. Uh, Every three to five years, they they lay their eggs and they lay their eggs like, what is it, six to ten times? Yeah, no, it's, it's around six times they will come back to the beach where they were born in their season and lay one to 200 eggs each time. Yeah. The first turtle that we came, we were allowed to stop and look at um, was in the process of camouflaging her nest. She had already dug um, the hole and she had deposited her eggs and was camouflaging. Um, and then, you know, she actually hauled herself up and off and we got to see her leave the beach, which right. was quite amusing because the conservationists were there trying to measure yeah. the turtles. They measure, you know, various parts of the turtle. And, and you would think they'd move slow, but this young lady was running with this turtle trying to get, with a T-square, trying to get a decent yeah. um, measurement it, on it, the shell. It was interesting. They, In general, they, let's just average it, they lay about 100 eggs a time, so six times a year, 600 eggs. Why uh, have we lost 90% of them? I mean, the reason we're losing them, obviously, is to do a combination of, of ridiculous fishing practices with the drag nets, and it's to do with poaching, it's to do with people who think it's fun to eat turtle soup, and, and uh, don't. Um, but why they lay 600 eggs and have been doing so for 110 million years is 599 of them are not going to make it to, uh, to mating age. Quite simply, they get picked off. Um, I have been on Heron Island in the Great Barrier Reef where I watched the turtles actually hatch and uh, run for the, the beach. And while they were running for the beach, a hundred of them, a number of them got picked off by birds just immediately. I mean, it's like watching a horror. It's like watching the start of Saving Private Ryan. It, it really is. Um, so that's why this process goes on. This is nature at its most amazing and brutal and cruel and primitive and absolutely cosmic. It, it's one of the, 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 the greatest experiences I've seen because you just feel like you're privy to a part of nature that you shouldn't be privy to. And I, I approve wholeheartedly of how it's handled, how we are merely observers on a, on a national park being allowed to witness one of the oldest animals on the planet, one of the ones that lives to the oldest age, do its thing. It's just beautiful. Yeah. And our last turtle was, in fact, um, had dug her nest and was in the process of laying. And it was just a miracle to watch that. Yeah. Um, trying not to think too much about how many of them would actually get back to the ocean when they hatch in the fall. Yeah. Um, but and, an extraordinary experience. Yeah, definitely one of the greatest nature experiences I've had. We, we, we had a wonderful time there. We got back down. And rather than go back into San Jose, we went to a former city that's now, it's still its own city and apparently the second biggest in, in the country. But, it, but basically, it's a suburb of San Jose. It's called Alawela. 
and it was it's it's on a grid system. We got an amazing Airbnb. I heartily recommend doing the Airbnbs where you can. I heard another first world sort of podcast being like, ah, you may as well stay in a hotel these days. No, I disagree. We did three out of five of our places were Airbnbs, and in all cases, we either got to meet our families or got to live in somebody's home. This was a, a Brit's home. It's called the Mango Tree House. I didn't know she was British when I booked it. She spends part of the year back in England. She basically gives up her house and it's beautiful. It's lovely. And so it's equipped as if she's coming back tonight. I mean, it's, she doesn't put anything away. It doesn't look like she's hiding anything. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, a, I would recommend that place. Aloela, on the other hand. Uh, um, yeah, Mango Tree House was beautiful and there were mango trees and mangoes falling off the tree. Um, and we got to eat some mangoes, so that was great. Um, Alawela, I'm not sure we got a full picture of that city, but we found um, one place that had several restaurants where we were able to eat. Um, we did walk into the center of the city and found the museum. I would say the museum, top notch. Um, the museum there in Alawela again, another former army barracks, is used to tell the story of um, when the American doctor from Tennessee, William Walker, decided he was going to turn Central America into his own personal um, place where slavery was going to be allowed forever. Um, And he started taking over uh, various Central yeah, American he countries. Yeah, doing it with the yeah. tacit approval of, of the United States, yeah. of the Deep South, right before the, the, yeah. the American Civil War. He was basically trying to expand slavery territory yeah. for, the, for the United States, for the Southern states. And he got as far as Nicaragua, and he managed to get himself made president there and even have a, a support for a little while from maybe the aristocracy or the, the rich in, in Nicaragua. Yeah. And, and, and um, then he decided to go into Costa Rica. Yeah. And the reason Alawela is a famous, uh, uh, the reason the museum is there in Alawela is that two of the heroes of this time, um, the president of the country at the time, and the young man who ended up uh, burning a building where uh, several of William Walker's um, officers and such were and sort of ending the conflict were both from Alawela. Yeah, Juan Santa Maria, I believe. Juan Santa Maria is the young man that lost his life. Yep. The International Airport, because the the airport is actually in Alawela. So we came back there to the same mango tree house for last night because it was literally five minutes away. And the museum is dedicated to him as well. And this museum was great. Uh, a couple of fun facts. Here's a, here's a fun fact. The, uh, the, the, the Walker Private Army were called filibusteros. So if you ever wonder about the word filibuster that's used in American politics, well, this was its original uh, use. It's one of those words that its meaning has been changed. I'm not trying to suggest that everybody who filibusters in Congress is uh, looking uh, to set up their own slave colony somewhere by any means, but that's what they were called. The Costa Ricans were called something like the Costa Ricanistas uh, or the Ricanistas or something, but they they um, they actually got, uh, got Walker exiled. And as happens, because it happened actually with the president of the country as well around that time, people can't stay away from the allure of power and they come back and they're not so lucky next time. And both William Walker and that Costa Rican president ended up being put against a wall and shot. Um, there was a movie about Walker. It's called Walker. And uh, Joe Strummer did the music 
and Ed Harris, I believe, played Walker, and Alex Cox directed it, and I need to watch it again because I only watched it when it came out in the very late 80s. I do want to interject about museums and the people that um, work at the museums. Um, I often asked, like, what, what would you like to tell me about the museum or what can you tell me? And the conversations that we had and uh, the information that we gained from people working in the museums, they are so proud of their history. And this was very apparent at this museum in Alauela. Yeah. But we were in Alauela for a specific reason. We were. And that reason was that we had, we wanted to see all the different climates in Costa Rica. So we wanted to go and climb some volcanoes and get as close as we could to craters. And there's a volcano near Alauela called Poas. Right. And we're going to do our two volcanic trips here together um, for convenience and for time. And Poas, the advantage there, Paula had understandably been all along, I want to go to the cloud forest. That's a big thing about being in Costa Rica. And uh, Arenal, Monteverde, is a cloud forest. And um, we hit on Poaz because it was going to be less crowded, more convenient, um, a, a quicker trip, and would get us into the cloud forest. And Poaz is an active volcano. Only five, six years ago, it started spewing out rocks onto the viewing platform. So when we talk about active volcanoes, it's not like there's lava dripping down uh, the side, but you can smell the sulfur. We couldn't, unfortunately, uh, see the sulfur uh, because we're in the cloud forest. <laughs> and, it was, and it was rainy season. In order to um, see the crater at Poas, you have to get there early. Which we so did. We did. We did. The park opens at 8. We were right there with our driver at the gate, but by the time we got up to the crater, it was fully covered it, in clouds. It was covered before we got there. We were we were on um that we were on a hiding to nothing with that, but we knew that going in. It's like, look, if you want to go walk in a cloud forest, you either want to walk in a cloud forest or you want to see a volcano in clear weather, but you may not be able to have both in the same place. And so, for all that, there are beautiful pictures out there of the Poas volcano. Um, you know, I suspect that's not the norm. And we were okay with our experience. We were okay with it. We were sure. fine. It was still, you know, there's information there. I actually got a ton of information from the little museum there. We also got to walk down to the lake. We actually got to well, smell yeah, the Yeah, we, we did. We took a hike further up into the cloud forest, yeah. up and then down again to look at a smaller crater. Um, but that hike was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. And it was a different climate with different types of trees, different animals. Yeah, and you're amazing. in that. Yeah, and I love that. You know, it's trails through a forest. Um, there were lots of cars showing up early. We were all in the same boat. I didn't hear anybody complain. We ran into our second American basketball team in two days or, in, or in four days. Uh, they were down there for a tournament, an invitational tournament. It was kind of funny just to get to Costa Rica and be like, you're a college basketball team, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I, I, you know, Poas was great. Um, I don't know that you would base your trip around Poas. However... I'm going to move us along the next volcanic park we went to. Well, let's get there. They, we had to take a bus yep. from Alauela to Liberia. And that was a, they called it a four and a half hour trip. It was probably over five. It was another fun bus experience. And we ended up in the city of Liberia, which is lovely to go to Rincón de la Vieja Volcano. And this was the one that the couple of guidebooks I read, one of which was older, one of which was I bought just a year or so ago that was brand new. The Insight Guide was new. The Frommer's Guide was old. They were both 
big on Rincon, saying like people just should you know should go there in bigger numbers. It's one of the best parks in the country, and it's not that hard to get to. It's yeah, you've got to get there from the barrier. But we were able to. Um, I I just heard there was there were. Um, I knew that it would be possible. Um, without probably having to hire a taxi. And sure enough, there was a shuttle that could take us. The shuttle turned out to be more like a, a car with just three of us, just Paula, myself, and a French woman who was also a teacher, is that right? Yes, Céline yes. was a teacher Céline, from France. Yeah, Second, uh, the first of two Célines I dealt with in two days. And um, so we actually got more like a private drive up there and back. It, it's a uh, you know, 45-minute drive. Rincon is another active volcano, which means that the path, the hike that used to go up to the volcano is now, oh, it's kind of closed off with a piece of yellow tape. And I found out from our Airbnb hosts that people actually do do it. It's just, you're not meant to do it. And, you know, the volcano explodes and you get drowned in lava, then, you know, don't go running to there, <laughs> which seems a little... Yeah, it, it, that was another case where we got wrong information up to the point where we were heading up to Rincon. Tony thought he was going to be able to make that hike, which was a 10-mile loop yeah. to get to the crater but, but um, he found out he couldn't but that still left even tony with enough to do it What'd was you do, tony? It, it's a, it's a stunning park so rincon's uh, one of the is it the tallest volcano in the country i, I may not be the tallest i don't point. think it's the tallest but it yeah it, it, i think you know just the park in general is well worth getting to there's a po- positive environmental uh thing to mention here and uh that is that uh, uh, Costa Rica is taking energy from this actual active volcano. And although it means some unseemly pipes on the, on the, the, the road coming out, um, this is a country that's getting 90% of its energy is clean energy from, from within the country. And about 15% now is coming from this one volcano. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's just a matter of like, you know, tapping resources, but without like mining the local seawaters for uh, the mineral that we use for our computers, which was something that came up in a, uh, a recent episode here. So it's like we can grab this just like wind or solar. We can grab this. It means a couple of things have to sit in the landscape, but they're not damaging the way that mining for fossil fuels is damaging. Yeah, our driver, whose name was Will, was quite happy to um, show us this and very proud yeah. of the fact that they're using um, geothermal energy yeah, um, he did. He did quote a certain percentage of yeah. uh, Liberia's, but that's all right. Energy was, you know, and we we can't we couldn't prove that, but some of the energy in the city of Liberia comes from that volcano. Yeah, so. and I suspect that they'll be able to harness more power mm-hmm. like this. So that's a positive thing. The attraction at Rincon. So there's 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 one hike that goes out to a waterfall. It was lovely. It it. I'll be honest. I I I covered every inch that was available. Uh, literally every inch uh, i had to move quickly i did some running it was a, a one of the best days in any park i've ever ever had that hike goes down eventually to a lovely waterfall uh in a way i also wouldn't base your trip just around that um however the two mile hike that you did now I'll talk about the other one i did uh which i also did is actually just the most incredible educational thing you can get on a volcano i think Right. So, um, you know, throughout this trip, I had to make decisions based on what I could physically do, not what Tony could do. And I, and that was, that's very important. You know, if you're traveling with another person, you might have to go do your own thing. So when we got uh, to Rincon, um, there were 
two, actually three hikes because Tony actually went to a second waterfall. And I knew I was not going to be able to do the six miles to La Congreja waterfall, even though I wanted to see the waterfall. I had to be a little honest with myself. So I took the two mile Las Pailas route, which um, had all kinds of amazing volcanic activity. There were steaming rocks. There um, were bubbling mud pits and boiling water. And no, you couldn't go near any of it. You couldn't get into it. There are um, places where you can um, get into. I, I want to say the you, warm wouldn't, water. you wouldn't want to get into. You, a you wouldn't. No, I mean, because uh, you wouldn't be getting out of it. They're right. The warning. <laughs> the warnings are very clear. Do not go near this. But. Also, the uh, the wildlife, I decided, you know, two miles, I decided to go as slowly as I could and see every possible animal. And I took tons of pictures of different flowers, plants, trees, several types of iguana and other lizard, several beautiful birds. I even found this amazing um, bird called a guan in a nest at eye level. She was huge. They call her the pavo del monte, the mountain turkey. Um, and I found her because she had pushed an egg out of her nest and I saw the egg first and then I looked up and we were eye to eye. So that was, that was quite a fun, I had and a great those, time. Those, those, uh, boiling volcanic mud pits and the steaming kind of geysers, they're not geysers, that's the wrong term, but the steaming water, you're actually r- almost right next to it. There's a little viewing platform and you smell this stuff. I think, uh, it would be hard on some asthmatic people, including my older son, uh, you're you're smelling this stuff. You're seeing it. It's incredible that that all this stuff is so close together. And I think you know they they were really smart designing this walkway in such a way that it's educational. So and the first quarter mile of it is wheelchair accessible. Yes, which was great. Yeah, uh, you know that's that's a very important part. Thank you for noting that actually, Paula, because it's uh, that that is important. Um, I went out to the waterfall came back and everybody had told me I wouldn't have time to do both but I think they didn't know me and I'm so glad my my fractured knee healed up there is an additional waterfall it's called the hidden waterfall which is it might also at times be called the secret waterfall but it's not a secret and it's a vertical hike and uh I, I definitely had time to do it because I still had time for the last payas as well and it was a 1,000 foot climb over a mile which is i steep it was exposed at this point i didn't have enough sunblock um it was 2.3k to get up there in total i climbed about 11 1200 feet in total i felt totally at peace i felt like i was on my own because i was on my own i was the only person to do it that day and the payoff at the end i was a, a short steep and quite rocky difficult trek down the last hundred meters to the hidden waterfall it was the most beautiful tranquil lovely spot i've got to um we live close to the biggest waterfall in the united states and when you have a wet summer like this summer you're not easily impressed by these places i was on my own the waterfall down into the pool was nothing it was where it dropped off that i was not willing to look over the edge of it because people have died in the catskills being stupid enough to do that but i was able to go and 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 uh sit in the water, relax in the water, take off pretty much all my clothes. Um, and it's meant to have healing qualities. I'm sure it does. I just felt so at peace for that. It was one, it, again, it was one of the loveliest, it was one of the loveliest hikes I've ever done. It wasn't really runnable on the way up. I did try and run a lot of it coming down so that I had time for Las Payas. Um, I got some sunburn. It was, it was worth it. I do have 
pictures. I know my, my our hosts in the Bay Area were younger, and the guy I got talking to says he does that almost every month, and just you know chills out and goes up there. So I'm glad that locals use it. But if you if you're uh, quite a few of the people who listen will be runners and hikers and ultras, and they've done some of this. And if you get to rink on. Try and create time. Don't listen to the person who says you won't be able to do it because if you've got the experience of the cat skills, if you've ever climbed uh, Blackhead or Plateau, you can climb this. It's worth it. It was beautiful. Yeah, was you absolutely beautiful. have to know yourself. It's open from, um, is it 8 a.m. to 3 p.m.? 7.30 to around around 3. Um, so you do have to move reasonably reasonably quickly, and we did. Um, I'm not going to talk so much about Will, who was, who was lovely. We're going to run out of time. No, I'm not. But I want to talk about Liberia because after San Jose and, and even to some extent Alawela, I was a little down on the towns and I kind of expected the same from Liberia. Oh, my gosh. What a beautiful small city Liberia is. It is. And I, I think um, it used to be called the White City because it was um, filled with whitewashed adobe um, buildings. And, you know, when the they said when the full moon came out, it would shine like a diamond. Now a lot of the whitewashed buildings are gone, but the feeling is still there of a city that's made for the people to relax and be happy. There were several public park spaces where they mm. could sit and be together there. Uh, and we ran into such wonderful goings on in Liberia because it was the week before Mother's Day. And so um, we ran into the Maker's Market. Well, the Maker's Market was amazing. We went out our first evening. I'm like, I hear live music. And and the, it was literally like the kind of thing you would expect uh, with with one's, um, to be quite frankly, sort of like first world you know, superiority complex. It's the kind of thing you think, oh, this only happens in my town, a Maker's Market, a Farmer's Market. This was a, all the local jewelry makers, costume makers. I bought some mushroom pate. I mean, yeah, it you was know, food, food, jewelry. Um, and then there was like a live band. Now, interesting, maybe between the heat, uh, because the white city was white, whitewashed because of the heat. It's really hot. Um, but people weren't dancing as much, but they'd all brought out their deck chairs and their seat folding chairs. And the, the couples were seated around as a bit of dancing. Um, it was still going on when we got back from our last destination three days later. It was a four-day Makers Festival. They must have been exhausted at the end. But we did buy a couple of things. It was so vibrant. We thought we were going to struggle eating in that city. We did an Indian meal first night that was a bit heavy for us, but hey, it got us fed. Second night, we went to a place called Food Nation, and uh, they were able to, to just tailor their meals a bit better for us for, for vegans. It's a wonderful, wonderful, like a low-slung city. There's there's not many tall buildings there. They're mostly one, two stories at most, and um very quiet, very, very chill, a combination. There's local bars, there's there's local restaurants, there's some more international things. I and do have, they have a museum, which we did visit. Yeah, they did. And it's also in a former army barracks, but it was also actually... A, it was actually the former prison. But yeah, yeah, it was a former prison and a former, uh, I guess, police you know, jail or police... You know. The great it, thing about that museum, um, I mean, I talked to the police officer there and he wanted to tell me all the gory details of all the terrible things that had happened there um, just because he wanted to tell me everything. But they use it as a community space where yes, they, they teach do. music, 
to children, and they also have a dance program for at-risk youth. So it was just a beautiful community space, and the museum is the building. There, are, there aren't displays there. About no, well, the one reason the museum is the building is it's actually an Art Deco building, and it stands out. It's gorgeous. It's really, really gorgeous. Um, I loved being in Liberia. I could see spending more time there. I do have to say, because this became even more prevalent when on our final destination, the Pacific Coast, but Liberia also has its McDonald's. It has its Taco Bells. It has... Uh, Walmart. Well, we saw Walmarts around the country. Uh, there's a, a KFC, um, Starbucks. There's a lot of this United States, you know, corporate uh, influence. And there's so much lovely food to be had there. When, if you, when you can get these fresh fruit juices every day, when, the, when this is a country that is famous for its coffee, um, it's, it's, you know, I, I hate this personally. And I but particularly gets to me seeing, of course, all the locals flock to these places. But um, again, I'm not trying to make this sound overly, overly beautiful. But Liberia was just such a chill place. And, you know, it had some really upscale places. And it had some very, you know, a couple of bars we went past that was like something out of an old Wild West movie. And then there were like a couple of cafes we went into that were more modern than you'd yeah, in a way you'd get in London or New York City or Paris. We were moving on from Liberia for our last destination. We had said, I guess in planning, we wanted to get to the Pacific Coast. Yes. We made it. And was it worth it? <laughs> well, uh, yes, it was absolutely amazing. And again, we were smart in the planning because we looked at the map and we looked at Liberia's location and what are the closest beaches to Liberia because we were using public transport. And there were three beaches um, that were in 35 to 45 minutes of Liberia, um, and that would be Playa Panama, Playa Hermosa, and Playa Coco. And we specifically looked at what was the quietest place among those. We landed on Playa Hermosa, and then we found our accommodations. Wonderful way to end the trip um, I put in because I'm restless and I latched onto this quite early. I, seven years ago, got to scuba dive, uh, got my certificate in Thailand. And I was wondering if I'd ever scuba dive again. There's lots of scuba diving, like there is lots of surfing in Costa Rica. Um, trusting my abilities to just get it together. I found a gorgeous, lovely company, French company called Somersault. I may do an, a, an episode about scuba diving at some point. I needed to go into Playa Coco to do it and get there. I went for a refresher course on the Friday afternoon, right after we got there. I didn't even look at my room, unfortunately, at the hotel. Saturday, I went scuba diving, two dives in the morning. Um, that was my third incredible nature experience. I, of course, got to see things Paula didn't, including all these underwater fish, including the shark. Um, one of the most amazing experience with that was being encouraged to swim into a wall of a school of fish. And then the school of fish just adopted us and you just become one of the fish. And like you're 50 times, 100 times their size, and yet they're not hitting you. And they're just like, hello, big fish, swim with us. It's That's amazing. But I think there might be a separate episode. This is about sort of a shared trip. How lovely is Playa Hermosa? How lovely is that Pacific yes. coast? Meanwhile, Paula was on Playa Hermosa having a good old time. Um, I loved spending time just floating around in the Pacific Ocean. 
Um, there was a, a spot at the end of the beach where there's a bit of a ancient lava flow. And at low tide, there were all these tidal pools where you could go and look at hermit crabs and snails and fish that had been sort of captured in the tidal pool. So I, I explored the beach. I read a book. I took some naps. It was um, it was beautiful. It's it's an amazingly beautiful beach. It's very quiet. Yeah. Um, um, the views Swimmable. are gorgeous. Sunset was just stunning. Um, and, you know, we were a little concerned about the vegan eating. Our only complaint about our beautiful hotel was that they don't have a lot of vegetarian options that we could veganize. Um, so we went to dinner at two different fabulous restaurants in yeah, the area. Little bit, little, one of them felt a little bit upscale. And the reason I mentioned that, Playa Coco is, is cheap and tawdry, but it's got the scuba diving. So that's fine. Um, our beach was very chill and I didn't feel like up, up scale. However, taking my little taxi ride, I got to befriend a taxi rider who was recommended to me. And so I got to practice my Spanish with him and he picked me up each each time. So that was worth doing. Uh, you cut through one, uh, well, you can cut through one millionaire's estate full of uh, basically American uh, expats because that's sort of the population down there. And I was, you know, I guess I, I can only say disappointed to see that Waldorf Astoria is building right in between these two beaches. They're building a what will obviously be a five-star hotel and multi-millionaires uh, retirement homes. And you know, if 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 you're well, that they may sound cheap because they're six, seven hundred thousand dollars for a two-room condo or something. Um, I've read I read the whole thing about I didn't know Steve Case uh, from AOL was now head of an investment firm, but he was giving this whole pitch about how environmental it's going to be. You know, the downside of a place as beautiful as the Pacific Coast there, we, we're on a fraction of it. There's like 200 beaches up and down this coast. There are the Tamarindo is very busy. Manuel Antonio is further down the south coast. We just went due west from the barrier, 45 minute drive past the airport. Hit the beach. Great. We'll get out the car here. That's basically what we did. Um, so you are dealing with a lot of building. Where we were on the beach, there were cranes off on the uh, peninsula that we could see. Uh, you know, this is the downside. There, there, there's a price that comes with so many people falling in love with the country. I think most people's intentions are good. Um, I'm surprised how many of my students at Rock Academy have been to Costa Rica. Um, it's a lot. Everybody's intentions are probably good, but it's a little sad to see it getting built up like that because I felt like I could go back to Playa Ramosa for a week and just chill on that beach pretty much. I mean, I think you can get a sense this country kind of has it all, really. Yeah, right? anything you want, all kinds of different climates, activities. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was perfect. You know, they got it was perfect teams. for both of us. So it it really was. It's 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 a country that has everything. I understand why so many people go there. And when we were at the airport coming back, um, and it was very, it felt more bustling coming back because I guess you've got all the time to go into tourist stores and spend your money and people watch and the security lines that you don't have when you arrive. I noticed I Costa Rica is easy to get to. It's not as far south as South America for for North Americans. All of that said, I've traveled enough to say I did notice more people of color from the United States and Canada and more, um, you know, I, I would I would say definitely I met some gay couples. And I think that this speaks to, in part, this is a country that is, doesn't have a military, is environmentally conscious, is at peace. And I made a just sort of my own personal observation that I think statistics might bear out that this is a country where sort of non-white 
travellers or non-white straight travellers can feel more comfortable than they might in other countries because that can be a problem and I want to acknowledge that as another bonus for Costa Rica. Yeah, I noticed um, that there were trans people, Costa Mm -hmm. Rican people, um, and nobody batted an eyelash. Um, So I think it's, it's a safe place to travel for everyone. Yeah. And I would just say, finally, that while I'm not, uh, you know, again, I'm trying to paint a balanced picture. We saw our share of homeless and some people that would, you, you would see in any big city or small city, uh, people who I would say have mental health problems. Um, I hope they're being taken care of, but at no point anywhere in the country did we feel any kind of threat. None of our experiences were bad. And uh, everybody got us there. And I think we paid everybody what we either agreed up front or it showed on the meter. So I'm, I'm chill. With all of it, we met some lovely people, some nice guides. We, uh, um, I, I just had, I had such a great time, and to have three great nature experiences, you know, in in ten days, beautiful place. Any parting words, or I, did you get the travel bug, Paula? <laughs> I do have the travel bug, and and um, certainly in a couple of years, when I'm fully retired from teaching, I plan to travel lots of places and year round. Um, my parting thought is this. There are many ways to travel. Um, You can travel full-on luxury, everything taken care of for you. um, Or you can travel like we did, a little bit flying by the seat of our pants, but being mature people who understand how things work. But you need to know yourself. And um, I was happy to find out that I am perfectly capable of doing adventure-type travel um, at my level. And I had a fabulous time. I loved Costa Rica and its people and can't wait to go somewhere again soon. So everybody, I really hope you enjoyed that. The conversation with Paula was edited a little bit. We had, we had talked actually uh, way too long. So we cut it down a little bit. And a little part of what we cut down is if that voice sounded familiar to you, and I don't mean mine, you're probably sick of mine, but hey, you're still listening. If Paula's voice sounded familiar, she was a guest way back uh, very early after I started this show on episode five of the first series from Couch to 5K. And she showed up again, actually interviewing me about my brain hemorrhage on the very last episode of that first season. And uh, so on both occasions, people said they really liked hearing her, but particularly when she interviewed me. And I have been trying to get her back as a co-host for quite a long time. I do so many of my interviews during her workday. It just often has not been possible. But listening back to that and making the edits between us, um, I, I dug it and I hope you dig it too. And it really was intended to be um, educational and informative rather than just a uh, a holiday souvenir. There's so much about Costa Rica and there's so much that's engaged in the planning process. And I, you know, I will reinforce Paula and I make an interesting couple. Um, you could even say a little bit of an odd couple. And we, we addressed a lot of that there, the yin and yang, the push and pull, the to and fro and the compromises that you need to make. And if you can make them and you're happy with each other, they lead to a really, really wonderful trip. Um, so that's that. I will put in the show notes some links to some interesting things. I found a couple of cool videos about the turtles and some information about the thermal energy from Rincon de la Vieja. Anything else I can think of, I will pop in there. You'll have heard the Substack call out at the beginning of this show. Again, 
That is tonyfletcher.substack.com. From there, you will get a weekly newsletter so you don't miss out on this podcast or my other podcast. Uh, you also don't miss out on any events I may have coming up and anything else that uh, is of note. There's uh, a midweek update that has lots of recommendations with it. And then there's a weekend long article. And additionally, um, paid subscribers will be getting additional material. The music you heard there is from A Word That Doesn't Rhyme by The Dear Boys. I'll put a link in for that band as well in the show notes. And while the next episode will drop a month from now at the more or less the start of a new month, I won't uh, tease it too much because... If you're anything like me, you may be somebody who dips in and around a podcast and catches up with them and maybe goes backwards and maybe you've just found your way to this by searching for Costa Rica or Pura Vida and you found your way here. So just keep listening along, dive back, subscribe, like. Apparently reviews do help a lot um, and they would be appreciated, but, but that's about it for now. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time out. Bye-bye.